Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. My name is Cam McCachron. I am joined by my co-hosts and pals, Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. And, uh, fellas, it's been a couple of weeks. The Leafs have played seven games, uh, five of those at home, and they've done a pretty good job of putting points on the board. Only two losses, uh, one in overtime, and both coming during the uh, four-game stretch where the Leafs had no choice but to roll out Eric Schalgren uh, night after night after Ilya Samsonov was injured against the Bruins. And on Tuesday night, Matt Murray returned and put in a very solid night's work for a 5-2 road win in Pittsburgh. So... I turn it to you. Have the Leafs managed to to put you at ease these last couple of weeks, Nick? Because we were we were starting to spiral a little bit, I suppose, last time we recorded, right? Yeah, but I think it was warranted. Just the the, the energy and the vibe around the team, and it wasn't just the the fact that they weren't getting the results. It was the process looked flawed, and they just they they weren't playing up to their capabilities at all. And I think you know personally, I think that I've definitely you know, calm down a little bit, uh, in terms of my panic around uh, the team and what I was seeing in the first couple of weeks. Uh, one thing that's really stood out to me ever since the California road trip where, you know, things didn't really go so well. Uh, I, f- I think the team has done a really good job of locking in defensively as a unit. And, and that's, you know, dealing with some absences in the lineup, uh, on the defensive side as well. Uh, I think that they've just really been cohesive in terms of keeping things out uh, from in front of their own net, uh, kind of clogging up the middle a little bit better. You know, they're still giving up chances, but that's going to happen. It's hockey. Uh, I think you know, overall, they've really done a, a good job tightening things up. And now the offense is kind of starting to come with it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's, I guess, just kind of levels to the question of whether or not they've kind of eased the concerns or whatever. Like, I think, you know, it's no longer like, borderline panic mode or anything like that um you know it just looks a lot better yeah Uh, but i still don't think they're like fully clicking yet i don't think anybody would uh, we haven't had many games this year maybe the winnipeg one but even that got a little close where it's been like a laugher from the get-go like kind of looked like it was going to be last night and then quickly you know, Pittsburgh's a good team, like credit to them. Like they, they did good things to get back into the game, but some of the mistakes and some of the breakdowns that are being made now are like so isolated brain fuck. They're not a yeah. process or like a, a product of like a poor defensive structural play there. It's just brain farts and bad one-off decisions, which you hope as the year goes on that that stuff gets limited. But I'd be more concerned if it was like a product of the way that they were set up to play on the ice. And that's not the case. I think defensively they've looked a lot better since California. Yeah. It's, some of it's just execution too. Like you look back at Tuesday night against Pittsburgh and the, the turnover by Rasmus Sandin that quickly ended up in a goal for Sidney Crosby. That's not even a poor decision or whatever that that's just, you know, a, yeah. a flub and yeah. fanning on a pass. And those are the kind of things that, you know, you hope aren't exactly repeatable or they're easy to kind of get out of your game i think once you've got the the structure and you know the the decision making habits down which i think that the team has been working towards and and continuing to grow uh, into i think you you once you get to that point it's a lot easier to kind of uh, mitigate the the other mistakes the, the physical execution errors i think the pittsburgh game is a good example of like the way you want to win right like you want to 
pump a few in early and just try to ride that. Like they are, as you said, still a very defensively sound team, right? Like it was. Look at that third period. Yeah, I mean, it was a little wild to come together early in the season, but like they're they're tight. Like they're still tight. Like they they were they've been a great defensive team for a few years, and they're and they're showing it again, right? So, it, like it's you know you you get out to the lead, and it's it's not like they're gonna they're gonna blow it every time, and you still have like the 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 juice to to kind of continue to push for goals, right? Like it's not like you're sitting back ever. So like that that's kind of the frustrating thing for me often when like I'm watching the Leafs and they're dominating the first period and they just cannot fucking bury one. Like they get three, four, five golden chances and, and like, you know, three in a shift. Like they'll just, they'll, they'll always get it all over them at some point in the first and just fail to capitalize. And then, you know, you, you, the, like the longer it goes, you, you, you know, the, the more life you give the other team, right? So um, it, it was nice to see them really just never look back against Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Yeah, it was a really solid road win, even when things got a little dicey in the second period there. I, I thought they kind of contained the chaos really well. And, you know, we've seen this group kind of crumble in situations like that before. I thought they did a really good job of handling that and getting back to their game and, and taking it back over. And they really just locked things down in the third period against Pittsburgh. And, and uh, the, you know, that's the kind of – you said it, Cam. That's the kind of win you want to see them rack up consistently. And that's the way you want to see them playing heading into the postseason. Yeah, and, and I think what's important too is like – that, like you mentioned about the offense, like we all knew that it wasn't going to kind of last the way that it was happening, but now we've seen them crawl up from, well, I think at one point they were as low as like 28th in the league or something or 20, you know, in that, in that range in terms of goals. And I think they're up in the 18 range now or whatever. So it's, it's starting to, to write itself. I think we all maybe thought it'd be a little bit sharper of a turn and it would just kind of click and there'd be five or six goals a game for a, a run. Um, which we just, we just haven't seen that yet, but, um, yeah, positive momentum. Everything's looking like it's going in the right direction and, you know, take away some of the Shogren performances. Another big kind of factor now with, with Murray being back is if he can continue to do what he did last night is the Murray and Samsonov tandem, together i think are at like a 9 11 save percentage or something like that so that's kind of going as as good as planned considering one of those games in there was the the really bad one from murray like what you kind of hope will be an outlier moving forward yeah and as much as we were critical of shalgren and he had his rough moments i think given the situation he really did kind of step in and give the leafs pretty much what you could ask for out of a, a number three, number four kind of goaltender. He gave them a chance to win in a lot of those games and, and he made some big saves during that stretch as well. So I think it definitely could have gone worse. Uh, I mean, he, he's definitely not a, a starting caliber NHL goaltender by any means, but I thought he acquitted himself pretty well and the, the Leafs managed to rack up some points while he was the guy that they had to turn to. And, and in his in his kind of defense, like he made some big saves and some big moments, but also he was probably in the net for some of the Leafs' like worst defensive performances in California too, especially the Vegas games. So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not his fault that he's an AHL goaltender being asked to be a starting NHL goaltender. He, no, you know, not not knocking him. He was fine, but I think you know the two guys that you're you're hoping are going to you know be there the rest of the way this year once once Samsonov's back. You know, in some capacity, one one of those two guys in the net. Um, you know, so far the early returns from them are are encouraging. It's a good point about Shalgren. Like they 
definitely were a shit sandwich in front of him on D a, a few occasions, and and now Murray's back. And what's the status on Samsonov? Is, is it still week to week? Do we know what uh, the the story is there? It didn't sound like it was something the team was overly concerned about uh, initially, at least. So I, I think you're probably looking at kind of like from the time of the injury, maybe like a, a ten to. 17 day kind of deal so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Samsonov getting back on the ice and into a, a regular practice routine sooner rather than later and now Murray back as well so obviously you know you hope that he can kind of take the take the reins here for a, a little bit um Leafs don't have any back-to-backs until uh, the last weekend of the month. So, you know, another week and a half or so. They're not going to want to overwork either one of these guys anyway. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think the, the back-to-backs factor into it so much. I think, you know, even if Samsonov is on the shelf for another week or week and a half, I expect Shalgren will get another start or two in that period, especially with Murray just kind of coming back off of a long absence and, the, the injury history that he has, they're not going to want to overwork him regardless. Yeah. So, but you look at, you could look at a, so if he played Tuesday, they've got a Thursday and a Saturday. Do you think Shalgren gets one of those? I'd say games? Shalgren gets Buffalo or New, or the Islanders, which Buffalo's Saturday, uh, Islanders are Monday. So, like, I think that you give, Monday. I think you give, yeah. uh, Murray the, the you gotta Devils. give him one of those games off, I think. Yeah, I think you give Murray the Devils uh, on Thursday again, and then you, you kind of you go forward from there. I think if Murray puts up another solid game and he's feeling good coming out of it afterwards, you can maybe give him that other start on Saturday night as well. But I don't think that it, it would be the worst decision to give Shalgren Saturday night's game, regardless of how Murray performs on Thursday. Yeah, they're certainly going to try to go back and forth and i think that they'll mix chagrin in and joseph wall just returned to practice too with the marley's uh, kind of a dark horse candidate to maybe steal some starts down the road if you know further injuries arise all right um so mentioned that the the devils are next up on thursday and then again uh next wednesday so they get the devils twice in a week and they are looking they're good. on a heater so, as jack hughes would say yeah Nico Heeshear. Yeah. What up? Halifax um, Moosehead alumni. That's right. Uh, they're they're going to be a good test, I think, for, for the Leafs. Um, you know, you look at, like, the, the underlying stuff. Like, they're, they're a top 10 team by pretty much any metric over the first, you know, month and a bit of the season. And um, it feels like things are trending up. And the, the most encouraging part, I think, is that, you know, Matthews has not caught fire by any stretch of the imagination yeah. yet. Right. So, uh, like, they've been putting points on the board at a pretty good clip. And, and, you know, they haven't really gotten rolling like we know that they can. Right. So I guess that that's especially the, a five on five. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the the biggest difference is for sure. Like Austin Matthews has torched this league at five versus five for his entire career so far and he just hasn't hit that point yet this season he doesn't look like he's creating as much for his own shot um him and mariner just didn't really sync up the way that we saw them do last year when they were both you know arguably the the best duo in the league down the stretch of the season um it kind of leads into what we've seen with the lineup in the last couple of games and the switch putting Mariner down with Tavares, who has been arguably the best Leaf all season, I think. Maybe the, the rumors of John Tavares's demise were greatly exaggerated. <laughs> but now we've, we're seeing him with Mitch Mariner kind of uh, 
going back to the look from Tavares' first year where he scored 47 goals with the Leafs. And then you've got Nylander back up with Matthews, uh, kind of hearkening back to their rookie season when they spent a lot of time together. Uh, what have you guys thought about that switch so far and just kind of what it's meant to the offense? I was back and forth on it before it happened. I know there was a lot of calls for it, and I understood, like, you know, hey, Tavares is is humming along, and, you know, maybe him and Marner together would be fine, and maybe Nylander gets Matthews going, and I – I could follow that train of thought, but then there's also that other side that was like they were arguably the best line in the league last year. So why why break up what you know works? But if it's not working in the moment, and you know there's immediate returns, you know uh, Marner looks better, um, you know with with the Tavares line. So perhaps not drawing you know the 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 best of the best from the other team, um, you know down on the like, on what I guess would be the second line like. You know, Marner's been a little bit more explosive as of late. So I think you keep it together. But I don't know, like, if you were to ask me game one of the playoffs, like, will, it, will Marner and Matthews be together? I'd say probably, yeah. But I think for the time being, you ride it out until you until it doesn't look good anymore. Because, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any changes right now. Well, the flexibility is a nice thing to have too, right? Uh, I saw a take on Twitter last night that I, I thought was great and I, I wholeheartedly agree with it from Anthony Petrelli. Um, his stance was that Mariner and Tavares seem to work together so well because they both kind of play the game at a, a slower pace. And that's not to say that Mariner is slow or anything, but we've talked about this countless times. He, he's a guy with the puck on his stick. He likes to slow things down and really he's more meticulous in picking apart coverages and kind of searching for that grade A chance. And I think that kind of compliments Tavares well and the way that he moves off the puck and things like that and uh, Anthony Petrelli also said Mariner or Nylander sorry and Matthews are more aggressive in the way that they attack and transition and they're kind of more of a constantly coming at you downhill sort of style and I, th- I just thought that was a really great description and kind of analysis on um, perhaps why those two pairings maybe look a little bit better to us right now yeah i mean i think that the, the key with these guys and, and you know the the kind of larger point like probably we were talking last time around about um you know breaking up minor and matthews and, and you know how, how keith has just so adamantly stuck to that and i think that the key is to not adamantly stick to anything when you have like this much talent right like if things are getting a little bit stale and it's it's inarguable that it was getting stale with with Matthews and Marner at times in, in the early part of the season um, like even if it's just for a period you, you have the tools to switch this around like it's not like you're you're so top heavy in, in terms of just having like one or two guys that you, you you know you have to do what you have to do with the lineup like you, you can mix and match and and that's kind of what I would like to see more of when like a pairing is not clicking like you, you can switch up the pairings and, and and see how they look and move them around and and you know like you said this is clicking now ride it until it doesn't and then you know maybe you, you go back to Matthews and Reiner and they're right back where they were last year right but like right now they're not so you know why why not give it a give it a switch up and and be willing to to switch it up like at any at any time if you're not feeling it if you don't think that it's it's working right so well i think we've seen uh, plenty of that with keith in the last few weeks the blender has been going yeah it is and you know the the results have followed so that's it it's you know you just have to keep guys on their toes sometimes and and you know the the mix changing the mix just can get the the legs moving a little bit more and and 
Um, I mean, I, and I kind of like, honestly, like beyond the, the, the skilled pairings, like kind of like the way the Kerfoot was, was working with Tavares and, and Marner a little bit more than, than he ha- he has with other pairings. That's- I still think that Kerfoot for me is a guy that you could probably, like, I just feel like you get more out of him on the third line. I, I, I don't necessarily know if that means that he'd be the center on the third line, but he's fast enough to be able to kind of drive the play a little bit, but I just think he gets kind of out over his skis against better competition. And when he has to kind of defer to, you know, the Tavares's of the and Nylanders of the world, like I'd like to see him just get really sheltered offensive minutes on the, on the third third line. Like I know he's historically been a guy that Keith has kind of wanted to turn into like a checker and, and get defensive minutes out of him, But I, I just think with his speed and, you know, he's not bad with the puck, like his hands are all right, but he's just not, for me, like a top six forward with the way that this team's constructed. It's his decision making, yeah. right? Like it, it's, you know, when he ha- when he gets the puck in space, and this is not even just a following on the heels of the <laughs> most obvious example of this from Tuesday night when he passed out of a fucking clear breakaway from the hash marks in. I don't know what was going on there. Um he, he's smart in, in the sense of like, you know, when it's like a one touch play, like he, he, he makes good decisions there. But like when he's, yeah, when he's got the puck on his stick and he's got to got to make make plays and, and, you know, try to create something that's more than like a, a give and go or like a, he, he doesn't have that IQ, that that next kind of offensive gear that that these other guys do. And it's not even like a like he could probably fit in on a, a top six nicely with guys who aren't like, you know, playing on a fucking 4D chess level like some of the guys on the Leafs. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he's got some tools, but yeah, I think Kerfoot's got all kinds of tools. And maybe the biggest problem is he doesn't have a big enough toolbox to put them in, if that makes any sense. He's like for a guy with you know his individual skills or toolkit he's a very nondescript player don't you think like it, it, sometimes it's just like what do you do here like you see him flying up and down the ice and and he's you know usually making the the smart play but he's not necessarily creating a whole lot and you know once he gets the puck in around the net i i don't know if there's <laughs> anyone that I, I'm less confident in finishing a grade A chance on the Leafs roster right now. Maybe, uh, maybe Aston Reese, but you know, even he's managed to bang in a couple lately. So yeah, that's where my thought process of letting him, I think he's let him kind of feast a little bit more on lower competition where he doesn't have to think as much like, and it's, it is just a simpler game for him. And, you know, he doesn't have to have those kind of, like you said, like the 4d chess thought process is going through his head. It's more of just like a straight line, dump and chase give him some guys who are on his level yeah exactly and and some guys that can finish like i've been saying for a while now that i think that i i'm i'd be i don't know who you put with them but him and robertson on the third line to me makes a lot of sense because i think robertson can make up for the lack of finish that's in his game and but he's a guy that can get pucks to him and, and kind of create off the rush and stuff like that so but i mean that's another conversation but what's going on with robertson though but before we, if, if we are transitioning to that, before, just on the topic of the bottom six, like how good is that? The fourth line, that, the, yeah. like fourth slash third line, like, is they're playing just as much as the third line? But man, they like Mulgan looks dangerous every time he touches the puck. Aston Reese makes so many good little plays inside the defensive zone and even on the four check. And then we all know how good camp has been since he's got here. Like that line, 
after a lot of kind of searching and, and a lot of blender, you know, use of the bottom six and then Abe Kubel going on waivers and ultimately they kind of finally hit with what they were looking to, to get out of the bottom six. I don't know if anybody would have pegged Malk, uh, Malgan as being the guy to kind of round out that, that line with two superstar defensive players, but it's working. He's tenacious, though. He gets after it. He brings some speed and transition ability to that trio, and he's not scared to get in. No, on the he floor gets in behind the net. Yeah, he definitely doesn't mind the corners. Yeah, you know, for his lack of size and physical strength, he, he plays the game hard, and he, he's he's got the requisite offensive skill to finish off chances that their strong forechecking creates. So uh, that's been a, a, a trio I've been really impressed with. I think, you know, we all have. Um, the puck just doesn't come out of the offensive zone when they're on the ice. Like they just, yeah, keep, they just they, hold it down there. It's been a nice surprise in terms of the construction of that bottom yeah. six, right? Because you look back to our conversations in the preseason, especially like I'm glad you mentioned uh, Obey Kubel going on waivers because I believe it was two episodes ago where we said, you know, obviously yeah. there's no way you give up that early. Either he, he or Aston Reese would be going on waivers. Yeah, but, uh, but he was. Uh, a, he got, I think that was a fair statement given what we knew about him at the time. You know, he first was guy they signed. They, like, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, the Aston Reese situation definitely changed the, the entire calculation there. The, I, it it kind of seems as if Aston Reese was the guy that they targeted initially and maybe his asking price was a little higher and, and they bowed out and circled back to Obey Kubel. But then once training camp rolled around and Aston Reese was still without a contract and was, you know, willing to come in on a PTO and sign for less than what they were paying Obey Kubel. I think that's what really kind of changed uh, the entire situation there and sort of made Obey Kubel expendable. But yeah, that's definitely one that uh, we're going to have to take a mulligan on from the from the preseason episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's, you know, exactly what you just described there is what happened, right? Like it was, I feel like we just assume that these are going to be like the the either side of the the winger pairing in the uh, on the fourth line, you know, with camp for whoever else in the middle and you know they're just going to go out and wreck shit now that was her assumption coming in and you know not not thinking that okay like these guys are actually battling each other for one yeah, job yeah. so um yeah no it's uh but but yeah i don't i, I certainly don't think that we figured malgan would be the guy who'd carve out a spot there on on the other wing right like it's uh persistent little bugger isn't he He is yeah yeah i mean he, he's he's certainly got that like he's a good four checker he, he's got that um, he has that water buggy kind of thing exactly yeah. so uh, you know, it's it's a good fit there, and, and like you said, you know, he can chip in offensively, and and yeah, he, he's he's been solid after, you know, kind of going quiet there at the start of the season after you know a, a nice start, and then and then he kind of fell off a little bit. It looked like it might be it, and then uh, yeah, he's he's carved out a spot. Yeah, well, there was definitely you know some people writing him off, and some of them on this very show that were writing him off after the initial stint, you know, where he came out of the lineup and Robertson was thrown in and had his big the Dallas game. game, yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing with Mulligan is like it, he isn't even you know producing a ton of points uh, in the the role that he's playing in right now. But it's just he's making so many positive things happen, and he's helping to drive play in such a noticeable fashion on that unit that I don't think anyone's too worked up about the the, the lack of production. No, because I mean you look at it, and I think he's got like probably a bit of 
bad puck luck right now. Like I think his yeah. sh- shooting percentage is pretty low. He's getting a ton of shots for his minutes, right? So like, yeah. And and even like the offshoot stuff of just like holding, getting the puck into the offensive zone off of a defensive zone faceoff, and you know maybe getting a tired pair out there after a forecheck, and then having the big guys jump over. Like that stuff doesn't translate into the box scores, right? But that's happening right now. Yeah, there's been a lot more of those shifts lately, and not just from that fourth line where we're seeing the Leafs kind of put the opposing team in the spin cycle on offense and cycle the puck around and control it for you know a prolonged period of time and be able to get a a full change on and and maintain possession i think when you start seeing those things happening more consistently it's kind of getting closer to what we saw out of this team last year when they were at their best and they were just controlling possession at an at a extreme rate that's probably that's probably my favorite goal of the year the the one against vegas with Wah just like completely keeled over and Mike Johnson yeah. Mike Johnson just absolutely <laughs> clowning on him the entire time. He's like, look at Wah, look at can't even skate. He's like yeah, yelling at him on the broadcast. It was awesome. Yeah, side note, MJ's awesome on yeah, the broadcast. He's doing great. So I, I, yeah. I I miss Ray, but you know, you, you couldn't ask for a much better replacement if you're losing someone like Ferraro off the broadcast. Yeah. Yep. I mean, just maybe quick thoughts on on what's kind of shaken out with Robertson, like I understand that I don't watch the game with a coach's eye and I, I know I probably missed some, some things that would maybe drive coaches nuts, but like, I'm just trying to understand uh, other than their size, like I just don't understand and maybe the commitment contract wise, like what Engvall brings yeah. to the table. That's a net positive over what Robertson does, even with some of the, like maybe, you know, inefficiencies that he has from his size and age and experience and all that stuff. But like I'm watching, just watching Engvall skate around the ice and on the topic of like, what do you do here? Like I've seen a lot of people that I know are very smart hockey people on Twitter that are talking about the impacts that he has. And I, I just, I don't see it. I don't know what, other than like taking up space, like clogging a, a, a lane, maybe I just don't understand what he's doing right now. Like it just, can't make a pass the decisions are awful it's 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 hard to watch him right now and i think he's weighing down you know a couple like guys that otherwise are probably pretty good hockey players right now like it's hard for me to get a, a read on yarn croak when he's tethered to to Engvall. and i just it's it's i don't know it, i know we're talking about robertson and i'm just trashing on Engvall, but I, I don't understand that that dynamic. I, I think they're they're connected, and it's totally fair to discuss them alongside one another. Um, with Engvall, I think especially when you consider the potential upside that you have in Robertson, it, it, I'm totally with you, Keith, um, in terms of you know giving Robertson that spot and when you're kind of throwing the lines together yourself or, or going over things in your head or maybe fantasizing about potential lineups, it seems like that's the spot, right? Like that third line left, left wing spot is probably the ideal place for Robertson to be playing in right now. We've seen Pontus Holmberg go into the lineup uh, on Tuesday night against Pittsburgh with Robertson becoming the healthy scratch. Prior to that, they've been trying to play Engvall at center a little bit. And I think that that's kind of the real wart right now or the real fly in the ointment so to speak is they need someone who can legitimately play down the middle and i very much don't think that pierre engvall is that guy especially if you're asking him to play third line minutes and you know kind of drive an offensive sheltered group so i think when you're talking about robertson and his next you know 
chance to get into the lineup, I think it's you, you've got to be discussing him alongside Engvall and, and kind of just wondering at what point do you have to kind of cut bait on Engvall or make him the guy that's on the outside looking in. I know they're invested in him with a little bit of money. Um, he's a, a pending unrestricted free agent, so they're probably trying to not completely tank his value. And that's the other side of it too, is it, maybe they are trying to move off of him and kind of create a little bit of flexibility or open up a spot in the in the forward lineup. But we don't know that. And if they are indeed trying to move off of him or gauge his value around the league, Scratching him probably isn't, you know, in the in the cards or, or the best plan of attack uh, to to maximize his value. So I, I think it's it's definitely fair to discuss them alongside one another, and ultimately that's probably the spot where Robertson has to break into if he's going to become a regular. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, and I understand that Robertson had some not so great games too, but I also, you know, factoring in that he's twenty twenty one and. And he's had 20, 25 NHL games under his belt. I think you have to like you have to acknowledge that there's going to be some warts and there's going to be a, a feeling out period. And I just don't I don't think that Robertson's ever gotten that. All right, kid, you're going to go out and play 25 games in a row. Uh, clearly, because he's played 25 in his career over three years. But like, I think he needs that. I think just like go out, figure it out, make the mistakes, you know, and. We'll see what we have with you at the end of it. Yeah, I said as much on a recent episode where I, I thought that the biggest thing with Robertson through the preseason was that he had, you know, elevated his offensive game to the point where you you should be more willing to live with the imperfections or the warts that totally. still remain in his game to kind of let him grow. And I think that's it, it. You know, it's a difficult dance, and I think you can kind of understand it a little better a couple of weeks ago when things weren't going so well for the Leafs and you know Keith is not worried about what's best for Nick Robertson's development when his job Job's is on potentially the yeah. on the line or it's being talked about kicked around in the media at least you know now they're kind of in a different situation they're not people aren't ready to to declare the sky completely falling anymore or people aren't you know hypothetically looking for the, the next coach of the the Leafs so i think that there's a little more runway now for them to maybe give him those looks and it's, it's probably going to be a, a bit of a situational thing um, in terms of who they're playing against and you know who they have available to them in their forward group but right now it's it's tough to envision him knocking Mulligan out of that spot on the fourth line I don't think Yaron Croak is coming out of the lineup anytime soon and, and they really want someone who can actually play down the middle uh, like Holmberg so uh, it, it seems like his most direct competition as of right now it probably is Pierre Engvall and I think what you said at the start, Keith, is is, is basically the the deal. Like he takes up space. Like he, he he you can put him out there, and he he's reliably going to be able to transport the puck up and down the ice for the most part. Um, like he's obviously an awful passer. He he's not going to create a lot of spark for you. He's not going to be physical, but like he is a big body and he still needs to be dealt with, right? Like he might not be mean whatsoever. He's not going to go out and lay big hits, but like he is still like a, a, a for a defender to have to handle all of that coming at you with that kind of speed. Like the there is some value in that, and, and um, I I I think that he's. Just a guy who, um, you, I mean, you, you look at what they lost in Mikheyev, right? Like a guy who can just kind of scream up and down the wing with the puck. And Engvall is, is not to that level. Um, and, and he can't obviously create as much with it once he once he kind of gets there. But I, I think that he is a, a, 
an asset to the transition game. And, you know, there were a couple of times where with Robertson in in the last few games before he got pulled out where I kind of thought, you know, I I do see it a little bit from a coaching perspective where there was one play where I can't even remember which game it was, but I think it might have been the, the Canucks game. And, you know, things were going really in the Leafs' favor, but then it, it started to swing back towards the Canucks. They were kind of hemming them in a bit. And then Robertson got the puck. Uh, just inside the blue line and kind of tried to yeah. do a little too much with it, turned it over, and then it was a couple more minutes in, in, in the zone, right? And, and like that's those are the kinds of plays that, like you said, will, will drive coaches nuts. And, and when you have the amount of spark that you already have in the lineup, you, it's probably very tempting to just default to the guy who, you know, has legs like a fucking horse and, you know, is going to kind of reliably chip it in and get on the four check night after night. Right. Yeah, and and I totally get that, and I think just from knowing where the team's at, and that again, that's a good point about you know the the way that things were going a couple of weeks ago versus the way that things are going now. I think there's a little bit more room to experiment, but I mean, yeah, that was a bad turnover, but that's where you take them aside in practice the next day and talk about it and say, don't do it again and get your, but you're back in tonight. Like I just, I I feel like he hasn't had that. And I think there's lots of guys around the league who get that as a 21 year old. And I understand he's coming into a good team that has cup aspirations and there's not a lot of time for that kind of behavior, but it's going to happen with young players, especially like offensively gifted, you know, small, smaller stature guys. Like there's going to be things that you don't like as a coach, but I think you got to, like you say, live with it. But that's, that stuff that you said about Engvall, I completely agree with, but you should be paying a guy 800 grand to do that. Not, yeah, not what, no, exactly. That's, yeah. that's my, can, there's room for an impact forward on this team. If you cut the guys like him and uh, you know, they got a bit of cap space right now. And if you were to add 2.25 to it, all of a sudden you're creeping up into the five, $6 million range. And then you start talking about retained salary and all this shit. There's room for an impact forward and backfilling Engvall spot with a big guy that makes 850 grand or something like that. Just kind of get back to Cam's point about, you know, defaulting to the, the safe option in Engvall. I I think that that's kind of been a a bit of a double-edged sword for Robertson. I've had the thought a few different times watching him. You know, we've seen a number of of plays throughout the season so far where he's made a really nice play getting on the back check and coming and stripping a puck or intercepting a pass and turning things up the other way. It seems like, you know, you talk about players who might be cheating for offense or whatever sometimes – I feel like it's been the opposite with Robertson and it's almost like he's trying to compensate for this fact that every little mistake he makes, he's going to be punished for. And he's really kind of cheating more defensively or trying to hang back and not necessarily playing the style of game that's going to help him find the most success or he's not necessarily playing to his strengths at maximum capacity, if that makes any sense. And I just think that's another thing that you have to worry about when you're when you're taking a, a young player with like Robertson who has the the potential to be a, a difference maker for this team, and when every little mistake leads to uh, a, a benching or a, a seat in the press box, I think that's a, a really tough way for a, a kid to develop. And I I, I get it, you know, th- there's got to be accountability, and you, you know you you can't live with rookie mistakes constantly happening night after night. 
But on the other side of the coin, I think there's got to be a little bit more rope given to uh, a young player who's looking to establish himself. Yeah. And I mean, it's a development thing, like from the perspective of like, I look at Robertson and um, like you see the spark, right? Like you see all of the positive plays and you see like he's very smart. Like it's not like he's just some offensive dynamo. Like you mentioned about the, the back checking, like even on the four check, I find him very good, even smart for his size. Like he, stuff, yeah. yes, he, he, he's very good. Like, I mean, small guys have to be smart like this on the four check. Right. But he, he's incredibly good at like, just like picking off pucks, like knowing when to go in with a stick check at, at the right angle to, to strip it away and kind kind of come away with it but like it's it's you know can you do that and then burst out of the corner and beat the the six four defenseman who's waiting for you and then you know get the shot on goal and it's like you know Engvall can like string together some of these moves and then it's his donkey brain that prevents him from making a play out of it right but like sometimes Robertson's just gonna get swallowed up by some of these guys and it's just a matter of you know being able to to sequence like these plays together in a way that you can you can make Make an impact for more than just like a, a quick burst here and there, yeah. right? It's it's a convoluted kind of uh, explanation I'm giving here, but like it's it's just you know you can see it, and then you know you also see the moments where um, you know he he kind of kind of thinks that the next play after making yeah. a nice play is going to also come easily, and then you know it doesn't, and, yeah. and it's just it's constantly trying to continue to to make one NHL worthy play after the other, and it's tough when you're young and you're you know physically not quite to the level of the guys you're playing with and against. So like, that's the thing that Engvall has going for him. Ultimately it's, it's physicality, even if he's the least fucking physical big man I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's the size and just the, the endurance that comes with like that, that size and that speed and, and you know, the way you can just keep rolling him out there. And, and um, I, I mean, I'd, I'd obviously like to see Robertson get, get more run, but um, I, I can understand why Engvall is still in the lineup basically. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, we're talking about like, um, you, you know, the, the circumstances being different now versus earlier in the season when, um, you know, things weren't going quite as well. And now maybe you can experiment with it. And it's like, it, I would have almost liked to have seen him more then when like the Spark guys had no Spark. Yeah, and yeah. it seemed like Robertson did, right? And it's like, well, fuck, this is the time to get him in there rather than, you know, things are, are rolling and now you're expecting him to, to keep uh, things chugging along at the level of one of the most fucking finely polished defensive teams in the NHL in the last three, four years, right? So it's an interesting conversation in terms of, yeah, the opportunity that he's, he's being afforded and, and the expectations. But um, yeah, I, I definitely like to see him get more and like more uh, more ice. And this may be just contradicting what I said about, you know, him needing to, to find the time to, to kind of string things together. Maybe it is better for him to get less ice and, and put it together. Um, but, you know, you, you just like to see him get more opportunity, more power play time, you know, a little more space out there for him with with some of the 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 big guns. And even if it's just the odd shift, yeah, I'd like to see him get another look alongside Tavares. Now that they've made the, the Nylander and Marner switch, you know, maybe there's something there. With yeah. The maybe way that's that, the formula. Yeah. Maybe Robertson is also a player who kind of benefits from the way that Marner slows the game down and allows his line mates to find those holes and get into space. Well, you know, that's and, what I think is big for him is, is that he needs to get the puck in space. And I think that Marner does that very well, right? Like I think he draw, yeah. Marner draws guys in and can make those passes that will allow him to get his shot off, which is plus plus, right? Like that's, yeah. that's how he's going to make 
you know, living in the NHL is a shot. You see it even when, you know, he gets one on net, even when he doesn't score, you can tell it's just so heavy that it gives the goaltender a hard time. Like goalies not, save, uh, look different when they stop his shots. Like they're, they're yeah, just, they're yeah. not just swallowing it up. Like they're, they're checking their, they're squeezing their arms tight. They're, you know, they're looking around they're, It might rattle them or they're looking to see if it came out on a rebound. They just don't feel it the same way that you see from most guys. And I, that's just, it's a weapon that stands out and you'd like to see him put in a situation where he gets to use it a little more. Yeah, like if you got a if you got a game where he's in there on the fourth line, like you you got to be finding opportunities to get him out there. Like you said, with uh, like like slot him in there in Kerfoot's spot. Like I was talking about earlier, how I kind of like the the look of Kerfoot on that line a little more than with some of the other pairings. Like obviously didn't love him with Matthews and Marner, didn't really love him with Tavares and Nylander, uh, but like it, it kind of seemed to work a little better with Tavares and Marner. They slowed things down, and he can speed it up, and that's a, a tough dynamic for defenses. And then you got on the top line, like it's kind of the opposite where you know Matthews and Nylander like you were saying they play with pace you got Bunting who's going to find the holes that creates and, and and bang a few in so like if you squeeze uh, you know Robertson in there in that spot for Kerfoot like I think Kerfoot's still probably the guy you want most of the time at five on five in most situations to kind of cover up defensively for Tavares and Marner at times but like you're going to have opportunities where you can just slide Robertson up for an offensive zone face off or or you you know, when the other team ices the puck and they're they're stuck out Down there tired, need, need some offense type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, and we've seen Keith do that already. You yeah. know, in the games that Robertson has played, you know, the the rare instances where the Leafs were defending a late lead, you'd see Kerfoot slide up into that spot and play on the wing, and, and Robertson would kind of take a seat. And I think that sort of thing is fine, as long as you're you're still giving the young player the the opportunity to find success and continue to develop and and again it's fine for him to be scratched for a game here and there but it would also be nice to see him get an extended look yeah get get him his get him his 13 14 minutes a night 15 minutes a night even you know knowing that he's not going to get a lot of power play time and then knowing at the end of the game that yeah there might be a shift where Engvall or Aston Reese or somebody is thrown up there to protect the lead or something like that but you know he's still getting the the bulk of the game with with offensive players and with a bit of runway i think that's i don't know I, I you don't know what goes on behind the scenes and all that but i think he's i don't know i don't want to say deserves it but like he he's he's done enough to show that he he should get a little bit of a leash to to try to get that get that going and if we're being honest here having nick robertson turn into a legitimate contributor for this team would be a massive get for the entire organization we we talk about it all the time just the the lack of cheap legitimate contributors uh, that they've been able to bring up and develop over the last few years having a guy like that it would be invaluable almost but we've probably spent enough time on Pierre Engvall and Nick Robertson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the intricacies of the uh, third line left wing or whatever the hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit just briefly about the D. I think you, you kind of touched on it early on, but obviously Jake Muzzin is on the shelf for the long term. And, I mean, this sucks. Uh, February is what they're saying. And, I mean, I think you, February you, you for reevaluation. Kinda, so. Yeah, for for reevaluation. So I mean, you he almost have to down, just kind of no assume that he's he's out for the season, and and you know that could be it for for Muzzin because I mean it's just been it's been one thing after the other, man. It's tough. Yeah, well, we've said it, you know, in the past on this show. Maybe the next one is the the last one, and you know the, this this one might be that. Uh, it, it sounds like a, a scary injury, and you know, almost immediately afterwards, you had Mitch Mariner talking about 
you know, his, his life after hockey and what it means for him to be healthy enough to, you know, live a good life with his family and his kids and just be able to, you know, function outside of hockey. So it's definitely seems like a serious injury that could spell the end for Muzzin. And if that's the case, it, it it's straight up shitty that he's got to go out this way. A guy's been a warrior for his whole career. So it, it sucks, but you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise in a sense for the Leafs because Muzzin has been a, a very diminished asset in the last couple of years. Um, you know, the playoff series against Tampa Bay, notwithstanding where he, you know, he came back and he showed what he could be. And that was ultimately probably what led to the Leafs wanting to keep him uh, last off season. Maybe they did try to shop him. We don't know for sure, but you know, all the, the talk was that they valued the skill set and play style that he brought. And I, I thought that was, it was evident uh, in the series against Tampa Bay. Um, but you know, he just hasn't been that player consistently uh, dating back to the beginning of last season. And, you know, that $5.6 million on the cap is a significant chunk. So um, as unfortunate as it is that things have gone this way for Muzzin, uh, the individual and the person, uh, for the Leafs, this, this might be, uh, like I said, a blessing in disguise where they're able to kind of reallocate some of those assets and maybe bring in a player who's able to sort of fill that role uh, for them moving forward. And, you know, they've been kind of handling their business pretty well without Muzzin uh, for, you know, the greater part of the last two seasons. So, or the last season and the bit of this one so far anyway. So I think that they've got to make a move. Like they, they, they can't, I don't think they have to panic, but they they can't let this ride into the playoffs again and pass the deadline without you know utilizing this space because I think relying on Jake Muzzin to come back and be anything close to to what you need him to be is it's a exercise in futility at Foolhardy. this point. Yeah. No, you can't do it. It's it's and I think that with Muzzin like. Um, I mean, obviously, he he was the guy, right? Like that was the the defenseman that we've been we had been clamoring for for so long, and then he came in. He and, was and that. He was, you know, what what you hope yeah. for when he was healthy, and and you know, he just wasn't healthy enough, and and it seems like this might be a, a really tough end to his Leafs career, but. Um, it, you know, like you said, you got to go out and you got to replace him because, yeah, it's it's not like you've you've developed that guy in house in the meantime, and you haven't. You know, you've got TJ Brody who is also on the shelf right now for a couple of weeks. He'll be back sooner than later, but um, you know, he, he doesn't bring everything that that Muzzin does, right? So I, I mean, you like you said, even if he does come back, um, you know, it's it's the the clock is ticking. Even if this isn't it for Muzzin, the, the clock has certainly been ticking for a while. So you have to think that this has been like a priority for a, for a while yeah. and you know now it's it's gotta you gotta think that's ramping up yeah well th- this time with muzzin just it, it feels different you know the the way that dubis was talking and just kind of the, the entire discussion around his injury this time that this one feels more like the uh the the, the shea weber carry price kind of conversations where you know wink wink nudge nudge they're 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 done, basically. And that's just kind of the vibe that I'm getting from the Muzzin situation sure. this time. And, you know, it, it sucks, but it, the Leafs have to kind of try and take it and turn it into an advantage. 
Yeah. So as I mentioned, TJ Brody also out. Um, we're, we're getting towards the end of the show here, fellas. But just quick thoughts on the blue line, because um, I mean, Timothy Lilligren obviously came back here in the last uh, few games and whew, he has been good. He looks very good. He should have been the one that held out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he's he's just a piece that they just are missing. Right. Like that. I, I get that Brody plays the right side, but there's just times where and and. You know, I think Sandine's been playing a bit of the right side up until now. Like, just having a true right-handed defenseman that isn't Justin Hall um, is just something that the team needs. And and he seems to be kind of taking that next step. And I was a little concerned last year that, you know, how much of what we saw at the end of the year was was playing with Gio and how much of it was Lilligren kind of coming into his own. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, even not playing with, with Giordano. So, yeah, I mean, he, he seems to be kind of settling. Him coming back just kind of settled everything. And now, obviously, Brody's out. But then now you got the 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 folk hero in the making of Jordy <laughs> Ben, right? So, it's it's I'm not as concerned with the blue line as the masses seem to be. Um, there seems no, to be a lot neither. of talk about, like, Leafs got to go out. And I, I mean, if you can go out, you can get a... a a Jake Muzzin replacement that shoots right-handed preferably like I think that would be great but and and I've talked about like with you guys like you know I'm Matt Roy and I, I know Carson Susie's less left-handed but he plays the right side and there's there's guys out there I think that would be available and not cost like a, a fortune and be a pretty good upgrade and incrementally on what's back there right now but I think if you do that, then you're talking about potentially Justin Hall not being in the lineup and if he makes $2 million and they haven't really ever shown that they want him out of the lineup. So I don't know about that. And, and credit credit to Justin Hall. He got a, a very, very, very rough start to the season, but I think that he's really kind of settled down the, the last couple of weeks as well, not making so many of those egregious errors. And I, I had to, you know, as critical as we've been of him, I had to feel bad when he was getting booed on home ice when he yeah, touched the puck. For sure. Like, he had a couple of like really brutal, glaring, like just straight up flubs. But other than that, I thought he was actually really good in that game, and he's kind of carried it forward since then. I think you know, if you're not asking too much out of him, and he's got his head on straight, I, I think he's you know a fine guy for the third pair who's going to take on a lot of the penalty killing duties. Uh, he's been really good on the penalty kill takes a lot of punishment there blocking shots and just battling in front of the net that my I, i'm with you keith i'm not overly concerned about the blue line at this point i, I think jordy ben has stepped in and you know he, he's definitely fits that kind of poor man's muzzin mold i think if you're if you're looking for a more permanent replacement or a facsimile for what jake muzzin has provided to this team jordy ben probably isn't the answer to that long term but right now i, I think he plays a a similar style of game, just kind of a tough, mean, crease-clearing, shot-blocking guy back there. It's a mold that they've looked at and looked to yeah. since be- the beginning of Dubas' tenure, really. I mean, like, you look at Bogosian and then Labushkin, like, they've they've wanted they want to have a guy like big that. Big yeah. mountain guy back there. Like, that's that's been a thing that they've, they've you know, Old valued, yeah, to have there. And I was listening to the... Uh, I think it was last night's like post game with Bunkus was like basically saying like that guy that in a playoff series 
if things go a little squirmy that yeah like there is a guy out there that you you know could run you over at any moment and and could could beat you up if if they get pissed off kind of thing right like that they kind of lack right now so i can see ben being a guy that comes in and out of the lineup for the rest of the year i don't think he's going to play every game but i think situationally you could you could definitely see him even when everybody's healthy yeah and honestly at this point if everyone is healthy you know muzzin aside we're just talking about brody here at this point I think if you're talking about Jordy Ben coming in and out of the lineup, at least you know for the foreseeable future, the guy that's coming out is Rasmus Sandin, isn't it? Like, I mean, right has- now if things don't change, if 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 things don't you know look up for him right now, but like he's not playing well whatsoever. But it's a similar conversation to me as the Robertson one of like yeah, you know he's, very much so he's getting the rope that Robertson's not getting right now, right? And yeah. uh, like, I mean, he's definitely made some pretty big mistakes, but. I don't, I don't like, I, I like the fact that he's getting shot right back out there after a mistake. Cause I think that that's ultimately what's going to be best for his development, but he's definitely the, the weak link right now in the way the team's set up. I think you've got to give them that rope to a point, but I think Sandine is also approaching that point where maybe, you know, if, again, if everyone was healthy, yep. maybe a, a night in the press box would be, the worst, be the worst thing for him. Uh, it, it's just, he's really, been fighting it i think he's had a really hard time just dealing with the overall pace of the game you know i've said it before i don't think he's a a very strong skater especially for a smaller defenseman and it just leads to problems with him handling forechecking pressure managing his gaps and transition all all kinds of things and i I think if if you really want to get sandine going the, the one place i would look to would be the power play uh, the, the second unit doesn't really get a whole lot of run. And I, I think where Rasmus Sandin is at his best is manning the point on a power play. He can shoot the puck. He can distribute it. While he's not the most mobile guy, he, he does work the blue line really well in offensive situations for, for the most part. So I, I think if you are looking to get him going, that might be the, the spot to turn to. But it, it's been ugly for him for basically the entire season so far. Since he's been back, yeah. Yeah. Um you know, it's it's kind of like you said a, a further extension of the Robertson conversation, and like I feel like as as a whole, I think hockey fans generally like, especially when it comes to like prospects, like it's the name is is above all, right? Like if he's a top prospect, it's like you want him to play, but like sometimes a guy's just playing like shit, needs yeah. to sit yeah. for a night. It's not it's not like the end of the world, right? So yeah, um, and yeah, he he was that 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 turnover again, and it wasn't even the 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 bad whiff up the ice for that Crosby picked off it was like right like the the play that led to it it was just like it, it was a, a lobbed puck that he, he tried to play with his hand and he he, he kind of missed that too he just kind of swatted it down like in a way and he didn't really handle it right and he still tried to turn up ice and, and snap it right up the middle and like you could see the clear play he was trying to make but um he's just just kind of rushing it just kind of trying to do too much it seems like all the time did he not have a bad one in the Friday night game against Pittsburgh where he kind of button hooked inside the blue line and went to pass back and it was a two on one. Yeah. Like there, yep, there's, there's been did. some real bad plays. Like just, there's no other way to put it And Yeah. Like a, a night in the press box, if everybody's healthy is not, you're not condemning the player for the rest of his career. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you're not right. It doesn't have to be a referendum on is Rasmus Sandin, you know, like an NHL defenseman. Like, no, like there's, there's bumps in the roads. No. It happens. Like he's, He's not a first overall pick. Like, 
And even those guys. Sometimes you just get a stretch where a guy is is like seeing, and this like it feels like what it is for him right now. Like he's seeing the the play in his mind. He's not seeing the play on the ice, yeah. right? Like he's he, he's doing a little too much. He's chasing guys around the zone a little bit. I find defensively, and like you know the the play that you just described, the, the play against Pittsburgh. It's it's like he's he, he's he he can, he can see it all going smoothly, and and it's you know he's just he's not reading it right at, at times right now. Also, so that that play against Pittsburgh was massive ptsd of the galchenyuk giveaway and against yeah. it was like the same spot on the ice and everything yeah. Yeah. um all right wanted to, to wrap things up just with a, a quick uh tip of the cap to boria salming who um leafs had a really nice kind of uh, weekend that uh, paid tribute to him a couple of games right he, he was at so yeah. um it, it was really cool to see he's he's you know in a fight with ALS right now so they they wanted to, to get him out and uh, it's a brutal brutal fucking disease man Horrible. so um just uh yeah it, it was cool to see him obviously a, a, a Leafs legend like a guy who you know played before our time right but um you know always a guy that I heard about as as just one of the all-timers growing up and obviously the 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 story of of him you know being the the, the first guy to, to come over and, and to really open the door for Swedes and for other European players um you know that that's very very cool as well and and you saw the influence there when with the uh, the starting uh, lineup that that they rolled out of all Swedes, which I thought was a really nice touch by Sheldon Keefe. So I uh, just wanted to uh, acknowledge yeah. that and uh, send our best. Yeah, definitely sending our best. Uh, horrible disease. Um, I I thought it w- was really cool to to just see how much he he meant to the organization and the the history that you know, he's helped build, you know, frankly, uh, with this organization and just for the younger generation, uh, and even guys such as ourselves, we never got to see him play or anything. We, we all know the, the lore of Borea Salming or whatever, but to get to kind of see it celebrated and see him honored like that and just, you know, see what he meant to so many players and fans over the years i just thought it was really cool and it just made it a little bit cooler that they were able to do it uh, on what was such a a big weekend for swedish hockey with uh, the sedines and alfredson going into the hall of fame and stuff and you just you can't help but get choked up you you see sittler's reaction you know holding his hand up so he could wave to the crowd and you know they, they the, the camera pans over to Nylander on the bench and he looks like he's ready to break down in tears. Like This man, Salming, is a hero to so many and it was just great to see him celebrated appropriately. Yeah, exactly. Don't have much more to add, but like that, that's kind of that the moment there, especially with just seeing how emotional, you know, Sittler was and Sandin kind of being on the other arm. And you look at like the, just the kind of lineage of Swedish hockey players in the, the Maple Leafs organization that have meant so much, right? Like it was him and, San, and Sandin sitting there. And yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool to see. And like you said, like obviously a guy way before our generation, but a guy that like my dad always talked about, you know, from the, those teams and with like Sittler and even like the end of Keon's, I think career, I think they overlapped a little bit. Like those were kind of the, the gods right back in the, in the late seventies and eighties, and, and like the, you know, I, I guess the one thing I didn't really know about him, like in, in which I'm glad, like I got to kind of see through the last couple of days and hear about is, and I guess it's, I should have, when you just consider the like culture around hockey, but just like the abuse that he took, like, I think, you know, being like a, the first kind of like Swedish player of prominence, like 
I'm the, the amount of like runs that would have been taken at him would have been insane. And now I know that that, that was like a huge part of his story, but just not something I was like super aware of, but you consider the fucking stones on him to be having to do that every single yeah, night man. when you have like the broad street bullies oh man constantly on you like that's that's tough yeah that's what i was saying to you guys like i i had the the selfish thought watching that entire presentation of like how could the rest of these guys that are suiting up tonight see this and, and you know experience this moment and, and see that video tribute and, and hear all about Solomon's career and just not be completely inspired by it and just understand the gravity of you know what they could mean to one of the most storied franchises in the, in the history of the game I, I just i thought it was a great moment all around a great way to celebrate salming and also a, a great way for the the current leafs to kind of get a look at, at what their future could potentially hold if they're you know able to find some kind of success here yeah becoming the number one uh targeted harassment <laughs> guy in the league for uh, in the 80s like 70s and 80s nhl hockey players for just <laughs> i can't imagine a worse yeah go yeah, when you especially when than a boiled boot when you're like you're the the shoulder pads were just like pieces of leather and like that your helmet was nothing like <laughs> also yeah. a piece of leather yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um all right, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, we're going to do a Patreon soon because we haven't done one in a long time. There's a lot of sports stuff going on. I've got college sports coming out both of my eyes uh, <laughs> right now at work. Um, so we'll, we'll find the time here at some point. Um, I, I don't even want to get into Justin Fields at the end of this because we, we will need the entire <laughs> Patreon episode dedicated to that. So we'll, we'll skip that for now. But uh, just a quick assessment. The the Blue Jays traded Teoscar Hernandez to uh, Seattle. Uh, and, and fellas, you, you don't seem too thrilled with, with the return. Keith, what are, what are your impressions? I mean, listen, I, I, I don't claim to be a, an authority on relievers in major league baseball. <laughs> like I, 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 I'm just as much as anybody else going to the baseball savant page and looking this guy up and it looks great. Right. Um, but I mean, a 30 something year, a 30 early thirties, like I think he's 31 coming off a career year if you're signing a reliever that's coming off of a career year or sorry, not signing, but acquiring and a reliever coming off of a career year that's in his thirties. I mean, there's immediate cause for like pause there. And then, you know, an eighth ranked prospect in a system like, okay, that's, that's cool too. It's just the, the fact that you're giving up Hernandez for like, I don't think anybody's not thinking that, their bullpen didn't get better today. Like I, I think he had a one point six eight ERA. Like even if he regresses into the, you know, low threes, I, that's still an upgrade on a lot of what they had back there. But I just felt like he could have get a little bit more for for, for Teoscar. Um, maybe they see something in this this minor league pitcher that that they like and that they think could be you know a big piece of this. But um, not going to uh, gonna gonna reserve judgment on the off season as a whole. Clearly, until we you know get a little bit closer to opening day because this did free up a lot of, of wiggle room financially. Um, cause I think he was, he was owed a pretty big ARB, uh, or, but yeah, I mean, it sucks. Teoscar is one of the most likable guys in sports. Like there's no, yeah, he you, was a fun you, guy you can't, to cheer for. You could not root for him and, and obvious. And then just also very good. Like not just, not just a good, like, you know, dugout guy. Like he was clearly a, you know, I mean, I saw a stat that he was tied with like Soto and OPS since like the, like the last three years or something like that. Like 
He's under a very underrated good. Yeah, and a great story for the organization, you know, considering how th- they acquired him and brought him up and had him develop into an all-star caliber player for them. Yep. Uh, I think y- you nailed it really, though, Keith, with the the, the fact that you should reserve judgment uh, <laughs> for the rest of the offseason. You know, they're, they're not done yet. And the, this move kind of just creates a little bit of flexibility in terms of diversifying their lineup and that's been one of the biggest criticisms of the Jays in the last few seasons they're they're so right-handed heavy uh it it seemed like one of Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel was going to have to be on the way out just to kind of open up a spot to to make that switch and change the mix in the lineup and maybe get a left-handed bat in who can play every day in the outfield so I think you know, looking at the trade in a vacuum, yeah, maybe it's a bit underwhelming. But when you consider the fact that Hernandez was going to be a free agent at the end of next season, yep. uh, they were not going to be re-signing him. Uh, he's going to command a very large dollar figure. And looking at the the Jays lineup and their options for just kind of changing things up, I I, I think I'm intrigued by the move would be the the best description. Yeah, because I think it's very clearly like another shoe is coming down, right? Like, so to look at it in the total, like if they go out and sign Nimmo, you know, that's the the guy that can play center field and, you know, help out Springer and and be a left-handed bat. Let George move over to right. Yeah, Yeah. like that's that's immediately makes it more palatable. But I still think there's an argument to be made that like you can still do that and get a better return than they got, but... Again, not uh, not 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 an authority on relievers in the AL West whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see when the uh, the other shoe drops in in three months yeah. when all the MLB owners finally get off their fucking wallets <laughs> and start signing guys uh, in February like they usually do. Um, well, appreciate the analysis, gentlemen. Uh, as we mentioned. Uh, Devils twice in the next week or so. Also the Sabres, the Islanders, and uh, after that. Penguins again soon. Minnesota, <laughs> Pittsburgh again. Yeah, Pittsburgh again, Detroit, uh, San Jose to close out the month. Uh, some some good tests in there and, and hopefully an opportunity to uh, to put up some points. So we'll do it again soon, boys. Later. Cheers. Go Leafs. Go Leafs.